Ezekiel 37, we're going to begin in verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. Every say very dry. And he said to the open, to said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and, and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over. But there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. Do you feel the breeze? I want to share a story I read this morning. It was about sleeping Christians. And Luther wrote this. He had a dream. On how one, on one occasion the devil sat upon his throne, listening to the reports of his agents and ambassadors on the progress that they had made in opposing the truth of Christ and destroying the souls of men. One spirit said, there was a company of Christians crossing the desert. I loosened the lions upon them, and soon the sands of the desert were strewn with their mangled corpses. What of that, answered Satan. The lions destroyed their bodies, but their souls were saved. It is their souls that I am after. Then another made his report and said, There was a company of Christian pilgrims sailing through the sea on a vessel. I sent a great wind against the ship, which drove the ship on the rocks, and every Christian aboard the ship was drowned. What of that? said Satan. Their bodies were drowned in the sea, but their souls were saved. It is their souls that I'm after. Then a third came forward to give his report. And he said, for 10 years I have been trying to cast a Christian into a deep sleep, and at last I have succeeded. And with that, the quarters of hell rang with shouts of triumph. See, the devil's trying to put us to sleep so we don't see the needs that's going on around us, that we forget about Africa and A Street and South Garden and San Leandro and different places. He wants you to get caught in your little, little old world and, and get comfortable. That's what the enemy desires, because if he can lull you to sleep, you will be ineffective. There's nothing that we can do if we're asleep, amen? See, the prophet Ezekiel, as we get back to our portion of Scripture, was not physically carried by God and dropped off in a literal valley of dry bones. See, this was a vision. It was spiritual. It was a vision from God. Ezekiel is describing the spiritual and moral condition of Israel. Now, Israel symbolically is the church. So when I mention Israel, what does it mean? The church. Or we could say the church of that day. 
When I say church, what am I really saying? Us. We're talking about people. It's not a building. It's the church. It's us, you and I. And this portion of Scripture shows how far Israel had fallen from their calling and their position as God's chosen people. See, it was an honest look at Israel's lack of spirituality. In other words, they were dry. They were going through the motions, but they were dry. They were far from God, and they didn't have a desire for God. See, they were satisfied where they were. They were comfortable. And it's very dangerous for you and I to get comfortable today. Because at our fingertips, we have the world. We don't even have to leave our house to shop. And during Black Friday, I was happy about that. But we don't even have to go out of our room. We can just stay there and live there and order everything. You could order food. You, you never have to go outside and see the need. It's easy to get comfortable, to get complacent. So why was the bones the first thing Ezekiel saw in his vision? Well, number one, the first step to the solution is admitting you have a problem. That's the first step. I don't know, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of us were drug addicts before. But until we came to that realization that I have a problem, we could not change. We were going through the motions, trying to get healed and trying to get... I must have quit heroin a thousand times. Literally. The only time I'd be clean is locked up, you know? But then Jesus came into my life and broke those bonds of Satan. And I was free. I didn't need it anymore. But see, it's easy to get caught up. But you've got to admit there's a problem. You've got to analyze. The first step to change is honest evaluation. We have to recognize and admit that there's a problem. Now, after God reveals Israel's hypocrisy and shows Ezekiel the true condition of the nation of Israel, God asks the prophet a question. Can these bones live? In other words, is there hope for these bones? Is there hope? Can they be restored? Can the church be revived? Can the church ever quit fighting and arguing over stuff that has no eternal consequence? See, sometimes we waste so much time, so much energy on dealing with different issues that don't mean anything. If it's not going to heaven, it don't matter. Are you guys with me? And we, we get mad at this one, we get mad at that one. We do all these different things because we're not focused on the eternal. We've got to be focused on the right things. See, can the church strip off the worldly garments and put on the robe of righteousness? That's the question. Can the church be the army that beats down the gates of hell and set the captives free, heal the sick, deliver the captives? Ezekiel's answer shows us how bad the situation was. He said to God, Lord God, you know. In other words, the prophet had to shift his attention from the problem to the power of God. Because he understood, I can't do anything about it, but I need God. We need God. He had to shift his attention to the, from the problem. Let me just stop here to tell somebody, if you need a miracle, you need deliverance, you need a healing, you need a breakthrough in your life, you've got to shift your attention from your problem to the power of God. Because God is able to meet your need. I don't care what it is. God is able to meet that need. you got to go from problem to power. Because if you stay stuck on the problem, that's where you're going to live. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in the problem. I want to walk in the power. 
I want to be effective. I want to make a difference. See, the longer you look at the problem and think about the problem and talk about, about the problem, it's going to get worse. Do you know the problems get worse when you think about them? Last year at this time, or actually in about three weeks, I was bedridden for seven weeks. And I focused on that problem for, I thought I was going to die. I was making my will. Not big will, I was making a will. I leave my wife my Harley, my car. <laughs> she was going to sell it right away. Greg was going to make a move on it. I know. I already know his style. But I made these little investments. I go, okay, this way you can, you know, use a little bit to burn me, and that'll be it. <laughs> Don't have a big old funeral. Just put me in a can, whatever you want to do. It's fine. I'll be gone. Eternal. I'm, I'm gone already. Amen? But I was focused on the problem. And I got stuck. I really, literally got stuck. I was in a lot of pain. Couldn't move. But then God spoke to me. He said, you're focused on the problem. You've got to begin to focus on the answer. You've got to begin to focus on me. And once I changed, shifted my thought process, and I began to look at the power, I began to take steps of faith. It wasn't easy. It was hard. But sometimes life is hard. Let's be real here. This is church. We can talk the truth, right? Sometimes you're going to go through things that are difficult. But if you focus on the things, man, you're going to get stuck. You're not going to do anything. But if you begin to focus on the power, God's going to bring you out of it. So first, you've got to admit you have a need. And second, you've got to take your eyes off the problem and get them on the power. See, the longer you look at the problem, again, you're going to be stuck. See, Ezekiel knew the situation was beyond his ability. He knew that only one could change it. Not only one was God. No one else. All of us will come to that place in life where it's the Lord you know. Lord God, you know. We get to the end of our road, man. We get to that place where we're hurting. We don't know which way to turn. Lord God, you know. Everybody hits that place. But when you hit that place, look to God. Look to God. And he'll bring you out of it. See, Ezekiel's answer shows that he was dependent and he recognized his own weakness. And we have to recognize our weakness. If we begin to think we could change somebody's life on our own, we're wrong. You think you could change your husband or your wife, you're wrong. You got to pray that God will change you. God, change me. Let me love the person I'm with the way you created them. I'm telling the truth, Greg. I'm telling the truth. I, you know, Debbie's got a lot of patience with you. <laughs> she accepts you the way you are, bro. Hallelujah. Amen. But I love God's response. He said, you prophesy to these bones. You take responsibility for these bones. You do it. It's like God was saying this, all I need you to do is depend on me, now let's get to work. Because when you learn to depend on God, he gets in the mix. And when God gets in the mix, there's nothing you can't do because all things are possible. Nothing's impossible for you. So it's just allowing God to get in the mix. Say, God, I need you. I can't pay my bills. I need you to pay my bill. I can't deal with this person anymore. Deal with this person. Teach me to learn how to love Teach me to do what I need to do. Get in here. 
You know, I'm reminded of a story when I was in the Philippines directing the home. I had like 55 guys, I think, at that time. And we had a two-bedroom apartment. So I had Filipinos stacked everywhere. <laughs> and we ran out of money. And if you run out of rice, the Filipinos want to go bye-bye. And we, we had our last rice for breakfast. There was no more rice, no more nothing. As Pastor Steve was, nuna tuna. There was nothing. So I said, okay, guys, we're going to pray. And I went in the, in the back into like the closet, and I started praying. I said, God, I don't know what to do here. I'm all messed up. I, I ain't got no, should I start pawning things? What do I need to do to feed these guys? And God said, you ain't letting me do it. Oh, okay, God, let me change my prayer. These are not my guys. They're your guys. If you want them to stay, you need to feed them. I changed my prayer right then. I learned a lesson. About an hour later, there was a knock on the door. This other ministry brought all kinds of food. They brought sacks of rice. They brought food we could never afford to buy. And also, my wife was with that ministry, so I scored. Hey, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) See, God always gives you more than you seek and ask. That's how God operates. Amen? So go to the mission field and pray. Amen. You single guys. Amen. But he said, you do it. It shows you how bad the situation was. But let me tell you, if God shows you a bad situation, that's because he's chosen you to change that situation. Don't run from it. Begin to make a change. God calls you to be a change agent. He calls you to make a difference in our generation. And that's what he did with Ezekiel. And that's what he wants to do with you. If we look at the church today, we see so much worldliness that has made its way into the church. By the church, I mean us. When I first got saved, and it's 25 years ago, I remember they used to preach against soap operas. I don't know if some of you guys remember that. It's bad to watch soap operas, right? And it would get people mad. People got mad. People don't like you preaching against their stories. But today's soap operas are worse. They're demonic. They're demonically inspired. What used to be considered evil is good. The villains are the heroes. Think about it. How can God's people be comfortable watching people bite each other's necks, suck their blood, and call it romance? How's that romance? Let me bite your neck. Let me suck. I want to suck your blood. What kind of romance is that? That's what Twilight and the Twilight Saga is all about. Sucking each other's blood. Is that romance? Maybe Christians don't know that drinking human blood is the deepest level of satanic devotion there is. So we sit there and we watch this stuff and it goes in our spirit. The devil's perverting our spiritual lifeline, and some Christians don't even know what's happening. Somebody's mad at me right now because they love Twilight Saga. They're looking at me like, what's wrong with you, man? That's my story. Well, your story's demonic. I'm sorry. See, it's the blood. It's the blood of Jesus that saved me. 
It's the blood of Jesus that heals me. It's the blood of Jesus that delivered me. It's the blood of Jesus that set me free. It's the blood of Jesus that sustained my life. I'm not going to pervert that for anything. When I see vampires, I turn channel. Because it's demonically inspired. That's what the Satanists do, man. That's, they take a baby, you know, missing children that they never find. Because they're virgins. They still Because I met satanic people before, priests of Satan. And I've talked to them. They take these kids... And they sacrifice them on the altar and they drink their blood. Same thing. It brings power to them. Satanic power. So be careful what you watch. Everybody's mad at me right now. But see, almost every sitcom that you watch on TV nowadays promotes homosexuality. Think about it. Can we go there? And Christians will sit it, sit there, they'll watch it, and they'll begin to laugh. It's funny. Is it funny? I mean, we've got to start watching what we watch. See, they watch, they laugh, and they don't even know they're drinking poison. See, when you watch that stuff, you're killing your spirit. You're killing your spirit. You're poisoning it. You have to be careful. That's the kind of worldliness I'm talking about that's coming into the church. A lot of the ones we already recognize. But this is the stuff we've got to be very, very careful. See, today we have a tolerance attitude in the church. One of the meanings of the word tolerance is this, the power or the capacity of an organism to tolerate unfavorable environmental conditions. The church has become tolerant. We've let the world pressure us into conformity, to accommodate the world in the church. We, want to, we say, oh, well, we're going to do this because we'll attract sinners. Some things you've got to be careful with. We want to reach the sinners. That's our job. That's what we do. We go to the street, but when we bring them here, we've we got to understand this is a holy place. This is where we show them how to live a Christian lifestyle. We pull up our sagging pants. Amen. We do what it takes because we want to win people for Jesus. But we want them to be holy before Christ. Are you with me? We want people to grow as disciples. And if we don't tell the truth, how are they going to grow? We can't tolerate sin. It can't be done. If you want revival, you can't tolerate it. God's not going to revive sin. He's not going to do it. He's separated from sin. Boom. And here's a fact. Whatever you tolerate will eventually control your life. Whatever you tolerate, keep tolerating it. Keep looking at pornography and watch what happens. Pretty soon you're going to be addicted. Pretty soon you're going to begin to act on that. See, it gets worse and worse. Sin starts out small, but it grows and it grows and it grows. And pretty soon you find yourself buried. It's getting quiet in here. I could hear a mouse rub their hands together in the back. <laughs> Yay. I don't even hear my daughter saying amen. Something wrong. Thank you, hon. <laughs> See, here's the thing. The church is never called to tolerate sin. Never. We're called to come out from among them and be separate. That's what we're called to do. To reject the, even the appearance of evil. So we're not going to walk into a bar and start passing out flyers. Stay outside. Wait till they come out. Boom. 
Do you want somebody to see you in a bar and then they see you up here on the stage? Oh, I'm not done with them yet. They're going to get it too. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. This might be the last time I speak for a while. Amen, so I might as well do it. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to, us, to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Did you hear that? Soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. doesn't matter what age you're in. In this age, we really need to show it because sin is going crazy. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober and vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he could devour. See, the church has fallen far from its high and holy calling. He called you to be a voice to this generation. That's what he's called you to do. Amen? Turn your neighbor and say, I'm a voice. You're a voice. God has called you to be an Ezekiel in our generation. Be a voice, an angel of change. God has called you to be an intercessor. Ezekiel was an intercessor. Did you know that? He was a prophet, yeah, but he was, first of all, an intercessor. You may not be an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, an evangelist, home director, maybe not. You, maybe you're not in the five-fold ministry at all. But let me tell you one thing. You could pray against sin. You can get on your knees and move the hand of God. That's where you, you're powerful. That's where the devil gets scared. When, the, when Christians, man, of the heart, from here, man, when you get on your knees and you begin to pray, the devil gets scared. Because you're moving the hand of God. Boom! You're slapping him upside the head. You may never stand behind this pulpit. I don't know. Maybe you will. You might not never preach the gospel, but I tell you one thing. You can still be an Ezekiel in your prayer closet. You can still make an impact in this generation. You can rebuke sin. You can call for revival. You can prophesy to the wind and to come and blow on this church. Can you feel the breeze? You can call for the fire of God to fall from heaven and purify this church all from your prayer closet. You don't need to make a big show of it. Go in there in secret. Because when you do it in secret, that's when it's answered. Not when you high side, oh, No, you get in your closet by yourself. Get a hold of God. Don't let nobody know. Go in there and fast. Don't say anything. Go there and fast and pray. You're going to move the hand of God in your situation, in this city. And beyond. You have a powerful call upon your life. You are called to impact this generation that we live in. Not just to come to church. No, to make an impact in this generation. I don't care what gifting God has given you. Just use it to your ability. That's it. I mean, there's going to be a, a surprise when we all go to heaven. And some people that we think were, were mini, uh, minuscule here on earth, you're going to find out that they got big old mansions because they got in their closet. They're going to be, they're, God's going to be honoring them because they got a lot of crowns because they were in their closet. They may not have ever got behind the pulpit, but they knew where their power was. They were on their knees. They were praying down fire, praying for you and I, praying that I could preach this word. Praying that God would move in our worship. Praying that God would move in our giving. It's because of them. It's because of them. 
I'm, I'm here to tell you today God is going to do it again. He's going to do it again. He's going to send revival. Revival is coming. But the church has to be raised up in righteousness. We are on the threshold of the greatest revival the world has ever seen. If you read about the end times, that's what you see. God is going to pour out his spirit, the prophet Joel says, on all flesh. There's, there's going to be a revival poured out when people just walk by the church house. They're going to be breaking and crying and not even know why. They're going to be drawn to the spirit of God because of the revival. That's what's going to happen. We're on the threshold. We have never seen so much immorality, hostility, darkness, wickedness, perversion in the Christian world like we see today. Even, I'm talking about the Christian world. It's perverted. That's why I believe revival is coming. Because when sin abounds, grace abounds more. God is going to pour out his Holy Spirit. Because it looks impossible, it looks hopeless, it looks like the devil is winning. But I'm here to tell you, my friend, the devil is losing. He is not going to win this battle because God is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. He's, the Holy Spirit is moving in our life. God is going to do a miracle and he's going to begin to change lives. Not only in this city, but around the globe. Do you feel the breeze? The Bible says there was a noise, a shaking. Don't think revival is just going to appear out of nowhere. There's a word coming from God. There's going to be a change in the atmosphere. And when that atmosphere changes, everything will change. People will just walk to wherever we are. And because of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, and you're going to see people get out of wheelchairs. You're going to see people's arms grow. You're going to see different things. Eyes open up. Deaf ears open up. Why? Because the atmosphere has changed. But it comes when we learn how to deny our flesh. And we begin to seek the things of God. There was a noise and a shaking. The word is going to shake things up. The word is going to rebuke sin and stir up the body of Christ. The word is going to expose covenants that have made, been made with the world. See, God wants to put the royal robes back on you. And he says, I'm going to fill you with my spirit again. You're going to walk, talk, live, and breathe by the power of the Holy Ghost. That means you're going to be thinking eternally from now on. You're going to think from the cross backwards. You're going to begin to change everything that you look at. Because everything is going to have meaning. You're not going to gossip anymore. You're not going to talk about this one. You're not going to fight about things that don't mean anything. Why? Because you're thinking eternally. You're thinking spiritually, supernaturally. The atmosphere is going to change in your world. Your house is going to change. Your kids are going to change. Everything's going to begin to change. You're going to stand like a mighty army. You're going to march into the enemy's camp, and you're going to take everything that he's stolen from you. Dry bones, you've got to hear this word. God isn't finished with you yet. The best days are ahead of you. You haven't seen anything yet. But before God can restore to divine order what has been broken, he's got to change your heart got to change your heart, my heart. God isn't finished. In other words, all that is structured and arranged by the flesh has to be broken. Has to be broken. Are you getting me? Are you with me? Flesh connections have to be severed. Flesh connections. Oh, I know it hurts. I know it hurts. 
See, before Abraham could connect to his promise, he had to break the flesh connection with his nephew Lot. He had to break that because he, he wasn't on the same plane. He wasn't on the same wavelength. He didn't have the same spirit. Some connections need to be severed if you're going to walk holy before God. See, the reasons many of us have not connected with our promise is because we still have connections in the flesh. There's still connections. We're choosing the flesh over the spirit. See, the word was spoken. When the word was spoken, all of a sudden, divine connections were made. We need divine connections in our life, not flesh connections. But you can't have a divine connection until you cut the flesh. Are you guys with me today? See, sometimes we choose the flesh over the spirit. We've got to break those connections. There's nothing more important in life than the right connections. Right, Greg? <laughs> you got to have the right connections. But let me put it this way. The power of God flows through right connections. See, when you cut the flesh connections and you make a connection with God, the power of God begins to flow like never before. And you're going to see yourself differently because you're going to see yourself the way God sees you. And you're going to begin to see people the way God sees them. You're going to be see, begin to see the potential in people's lives. They might be lying in the street. But God's going to open your spiritual eyes because you have a God connection. And all of a sudden, you're going to find out you look at them differently. And you begin to see them differently. And God will show you how to talk to them so you can make those connections with them. And pretty soon, they'll have a God connection because they see your life. And you're no longer walking in the flesh, but you're walking with a God connection. Can I get an amen? amen. You guys with me? See, it's a divine connection. It will feed, strengthen, and nourish the anointing in your life. You've got to have that. If the connection in your life don't strengthen your anointing and your destiny, you've got to cut it off. So you've got to evaluate. What's going on in my life that's holding me back? What changes do I need to make in my life so I can get the God connection and get rid of these fleshly connections that are holding me back? I'm tired of just coming to church and being religious. I'm tired of just coming on Sunday, coming on Thursday maybe. I'm tired of just coming and sitting down and going back the same way I came in. See, if you've been doing that, today's good for you. Because you're going to get a divine connection. And that's what God wants. I don't care if it's people, music, or whatever it is. Sometimes the music, man, we, that we listen to or we play can bring a fleshly connection. Oh, it got quiet again. I mean, if you're listening to oldies, make them holy oldies. <laughs> but don't listen to stuff that's going to bring you back to the way you used to be. Because some music will do that. I was at the gym the other day, well, Monday I went to the gym. Tried. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I was, I was sore for a week. Couldn't even move. But I went there anyway. And all of a sudden I hear a song by Lou Reed. The title is Heroin. I had to leave the gym. 
I had to leave the gym because I used to slam to that song. See, sometimes you got to know when to cut it. Cut it. Cut it. You got to cut that flesh. Till you cut that flesh, you'll never have a divine connection. I like what John Chrysostom said. The darkest fact in man is sin. The grandest fact in God is forgiveness. He used to say there's only one calamity, sin. That's the only calamity of life. See, when we received Christ, the Spirit started to cut away the flesh. But the problem is the flesh keeps trying to creep back. It tries to come back all the time. As long as we're in this skin, we're going to have this fight. But every time it tries to come back, you've got to cut it. You've got to cut it. You've got to prune it. You've got to cut it. You've got to get rid of it so you can have that connection. Then God tells him, prophesy to the wind. The bones have been covered with muscles, flesh, and skin. There's bodies, but no life. There's order, but no life. There's structure, but it's dead. There's shape and form, but there's no power. This is a description of religion. Doing the right things, but nothing there. See, religion can put everything into order. It can build an altar, it can shout, it can dance, it can play, but religion can't bring the fire of God. Can't happen. Can't happen. There's not going to be any change with that. Religion talks about God. Religion sings about God. Religion preaches about God, but religion doesn't know God. Religion is a show. It's the shape and the fashion. It's the form. It's the ceremony. The rituals. It's going through the motion. That's what religion is. It's a form of godliness that denies the power. If there's no power in the music, what's the point? If there's no power in the preaching, what's the point? Pastor Toby told me this morning, oh, worship's going to be powerful. I go, now we need a powerful preacher. Are we going <laughs> to... Where are we going to find that? Because <laughs> I can't preach. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know how God elevated me to this position. But all I know is I want to become less so he can become more. So you don't want that form of godliness that denies the power. He says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Can you feel the breeze? Nothing but the breath of God can give life. Nothing but the Spirit of God can give life. Nothing but the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost can give you life. Churches gather around all over the world on Sunday morning, and in many churches, the Holy Ghost isn't even welcome. There's programs, methods, routines, and rituals. We know how to have church. That's easy. Dry bones come marching into church. They rattle around. They make noise. They do duties. Then they march back out dry. Are you rattling around? Do you come in here and just rattle, 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 and then you rattle out? No, that's not power. God wants to give you a divine connection today where you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit that you're not going to rattle out the same way you rattled in. Let me tell you something. If you think you arrived, you're rattling. You're rattling. Every time I got to get behind this pulpit, I am humbled. I get sick for two days before I preach. I'm afraid to do anything. Oh, my gosh. I don't want to rattle on the stage. But I know I'm weak. I know I need God. 
See, when you get to that point in your life where you know you're rattling, God, stop the rattle. I want to grow up. I want to change. Why have some programmed the Holy Spirit out of the service? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he don't come to be a spectator. He comes to take over. He wants to take control. He wants to do what he wants to do, not what you want to do. He wants to have his way. There's no such thing as revival without the Holy Spirit. I don't care how much we dance around and sing and do we can go up and down the aisle flipping and doing all that crazy stuff. But let me tell you, you come here and bark like a dog, lay on the ground and moan. But that ain't going to change anything. That's not bringing revival. It's the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring it. I want to tell you, the wind is beginning to blow in the heart like never before. You're going to see great things when Pastor comes back with the team. And we heard a little bit here already. But that fire is going to be caught, like Brother Eric said, and it's going to begin to spread to each and every one of us. 2017 is our year. 2017 is coming up. I looked up 2017 in the Strong's Concordance because I do weird stuff. And the Greek word is epiphao. It's from epi, which means on, and foul, which means to shine. It means to shine on and through. There's one occurrence in the Bible, only one. Only one in the New Testament. And we're going to go there now. Ephesians 5, and we're going to begin in verse 8. She's going to have it on the screen, I believe. For you were once darkness. He doesn't say you were in darkness. He says you were darkness. You guys getting something here? But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Cut that flesh. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. In other words, you've got to find out what's acceptable. You guys got it? And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Now remember, Paul is speaking to a church that got comfortable. He's speaking to a church that allowed sin to come in. He's speaking to a church that wasn't firing on all cylinders. He's speaking to a church that got complacent about sin. Are you with me? They were not living up to their high calling. Now let's look at verse 14. This is where we see Strong's 2017 Epiphal to shine on and through. And it says, Therefore he says... Awake, you who sleep. Get up. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The New American Standard says Christ will shine on you. What he's saying is it's time to wake up. You've got to shine. You've got to expose darkness. Let the light of God not only shine on you, but through you. This is your year. This is the year of revival for you. It's got to start here. If it starts here, it's going to manifest. Are you guys with me? 
You've got to revive something that was once alive. We were alive in Christ. It's time to get revived again. Again and again and again. Whatever it takes. And begin to shine. Expose darkness. See, revival is going to start in the church or in us. 2017 is our time. There's a fresh anointing. There's a new move of the Spirit. There's a fresh fire falling. Hearts are catching on fire in Hayward, San Leandro, Union City, San Jose, Oakland, San Francisco. It's Richmond is going to begin to spread like a wildfire. That's what revival does. The same wind that blew through Ezekiel's boneyard and raised the nation from the dead. The same wind that blew through the upper room on the day of Pentecost. The wind is blowing again. Can you feel the breeze? It's going to begin to blow in our churches, in our homes, in our schools. There's a noise in the house. Dead bones are coming to life. Dead churches are coming to life. Dead marriages are coming to life. Dead wombs are coming to life. Dead dreams are coming to life. The wind is beginning to blow and bring miracles, signs, and wonders. The wind is restoring holiness and righteousness. The wind is healing, restoring, and empowering the church. If you want wind to blow in your life, to blow on your preaching, to blow on your singing, to blow on your prayer, to blow on your music.